Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. Hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And this week we have um, an author that I was introduced to through Deanna Grime, who is, um, Graham, sorry, who has already been on the podcast. And her name is uh, Naomi Wark. So Naomi, would you like to say hello to everyone? Hello, listeners. Glad to be here. Thank you, Vicki, for having me. You are so welcome. I'm very interested in your work and, and the stories that you're going to share with us. But first, let's introduce you to the listeners a little bit. Um, Naomi, what state do you live in in the Pacific Northwest? We always like I'm to- in Washington. I'm on Island County on Commando Island. Okay. And Commando Island, where is that in the Puget Sound part of it? Or where are you at kind of? I am about an hour north of Seattle and about mm-hmm. a half hour south of Mount Vernon. Beautiful location. Love it. Love, love, love. So, right on the sound with a beautiful yeah. view of the sound right out my window. My dream location. <laughs> it's fantastic for writing, I would think. <laughs> yeah. It's a distraction sometimes, too. Yeah. Sometimes an inspiration, sometimes a distraction. Yeah. Well, awesome. So, um, Naomi, not, sorry, I'm going to say it right. Naomi, correct? Yes. <laughs> Um, do you work outside of the home or are you a full-time author or tell us a little bit about your background? I am retired. Mm-hmm. The move to Camano Island was the inspiration I needed to finish up my first novel, which had been setting in a dresser drawer for the previous 10 years. And once I retired, it was time to get back and finish a project that had been started long ago. Fantastic. You're my inspiration. My goal is to retire, move into the sound somewhere beautiful by water and write until I'm in the grave. That's the plan. <laughs> so yeah, I'm glad to know there's people out there doing that. Um, so tell us a little bit about your writing days. What does it look like when you have, if you have a day of writing, kind of walk us through the what it looks like for you what's your process we have a lot of aspiring authors that listen and it helps inspire us to keep motivated and in the process of writing I'm not as disciplined as some writers my goal is to midday carve out a bit of a time to write at least an hour maybe two hours a day Mm -hmm. just to put something down on paper Um, we learn as as authors that you know, writers write. For me, I love the research. I love reading books to learn how to write. But unless you put the finger to the pen and paper or the fingers to the keyboard and you don't write, you're not really fulfilling what you intend to do, which is finish some work. So I do try to be disciplined enough to write every day though not always at a specific time. Oh, that's great. That's good, though. I mean, writing every day is the common theme that I hear often from authors. And I finally, I think for me, I'm an aspiring author. So this podcast came from me doing a lot of questions with authors about how they've been published and that kind of thing. Finally, I think I have a groove where I do my research in the morning around my work day, and then I'm writing at night after my husband goes to bed. So it's working out so far, and I'm happy that I can say I have a process in place, which is the big step, right? That's a huge step. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about your published works. Um, first, tell us what um, the title or titles are, and then share with us a little bit about the genre of what they may be. Okay, I started out on kind of a safe platform. Uh, Amazon offered a platform called Kindle Worlds, mm. where authors were invited to write based on existing television shows, existing characters. So I started out writing a fan, couple fan fiction books based on the wildly popular Veronica Mars TV show. Mm-hmm. And I love that because she was a little bit smart-alecky, a lot of wit, uh, a teenage private investigator type individual. And I had so much fun with those. And mm-hmm. They were quite successful, but just this summer, Amazon made the decision to pull Kindle Worlds from their published works. So That's too Veronica bad. Mars went away. Mm-hmm. In March of 2017, I published my first full-length novel. It's titled Wildflowers in Winter, Aging with Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that one is presently the only book I have out that is published. Okay. So the type of publication, are you a self-published author? Because that's what most of my authors are, and I'd like to dive into that process with you if you are self-published. Self-published. And one of the reasons was I did start this book back in 2000, as I indicated earlier. I pretty much had a rough draft by 2002. I spent two years at the University of Washington taking a course called commercial fiction writing Mm. where everybody in the class was writing a novel. So Mm -hmm. during that two years, I was very disciplined. I was writing. I felt I had a pretty strong rough draft. I had been meeting with agents and editors and, you know, getting feedback this way and that way. But We moved from where I'd been living, moved away from my critique group, my mentors, the people who I wrote with and kept me writing. So Mm -hmm. for the next 10 years, it sat in a drawer. When we Mm -hmm. moved to the island, and uh, my goal was to reacquaint myself with the writers. I joined the Skagit Valley Writers League Mm -hmm. up in the Mount Vernon, Burlington area we meet. And... I finally finished this, and at that point in time, the industry had changed so much. Self-publishing is a lot more acceptable than it was a decade ago when I started this journey. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, I didn't want to delay anymore getting it out there, throwing it out to the public. So I went to Amazon to create space mm-hmm. and self-publish it that way mm-hmm. rather than spend another gosh knows how many years it might have been if ever to find someone in a traditional publishing house that might want to pick it up exactly well I think it's it's uh, self-publishing is such a wonderful avenue for so many authors is because um, stories like yours are need to be out there so that people can read them and it has a great topic and we, I looked at your website, well, actually your Facebook, and um, spied a little bit on you before the interview. And I loved that the cover art is from somebody that you met. Is she a local um, 
artist that you met and talked her into doing the artwork for you on the cover? She is local. She's not a full-time artist. She is an aspiring artist. Mm -hmm. Um, Her mother actually is a member of the Skagit Valley Writers League, which is how I'd met this individual. She had done the artwork for a children's book uh, of someone else I know. And that book, unfortunately, is not published. I definitely put a plug in for both the author and the artist because the artwork in there is incredible but because of the genre of this and the theme of my book of wildflowers does run through the theme of the book I wanted it soft I was inspired by Monet so I asked the artist to kind of keep Monet in mind as she did a soft watercolor for my cover art Oh, and it's a beautiful piece of artwork. I, I love it. And it fits very well with your vision. So how amazing is that to have a local artist um, do a cover art for you that fits your vision and it's beautiful. So, and when your friend um, that's in your group does get her children's book published, maybe we can have her come on too. I've had children authors come on and talk about that process of writing for children's book too. So oh, awesome. let her know we're available for that opportunity. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so you talked about, one support group. And I ask, um, this is actually the podcast has become a resource for authors all over the Pacific Northwest and, um, Skagit Valley writers group. I believe you mentioned it a couple times. Um, so, and I'll make sure their contact information is in show notes for those that are in your area that may not know about that. Oh, group. Yes. Um, do you have any other support groups that you work with online or um, face-to-face that you can also recommend or any tools or resources that you use in, in the process of writing and self-publishing? One of the big uh, pluses with the Skagit Valley Writers League, we do meet monthly. We do have guest speakers that come in and talk about um, writing, skills of writing, But within the league itself, there are numerous critique groups. And I do belong to a critique group in addition to the league. And we meet four hours a week, every week. Wow, that's a long time. (laughs) There are eight of us in the group, and we don't hold back. I mean, we're there to be honest, be kind, but it is to not just say, wow, I really liked your work. We Mm -hmm. do educate ourselves on how to critique and make each other better writers. That's fabulous. That's a really good chunk of time. Four hours for eight individuals a week is a nice commitment as well. So bravo to you and your critique group. (laughs) Not everybody can put that much um, time into the craft of writing. And I believe that's what it is when it comes to the critiquing stage. You you have to, like you said, kind and honest, but definitely need to have, it's an art to critique well. So fantastic. So Naomi, tell us a little bit about the inspiration of the work that you're going to read and and remind us of the title again. I I read about your inspiration, but for those listeners that haven't had a chance to read a little bit about you on your um, Facebook or Amazon page, tell us a little bit about it. Okay, Wildflowers in Winter, Aging with Alzheimer's, was actually inspired by my husband's grandmother. 
we were actually her caregivers for the last few years of her life. And during that time, her confusion progressed to uh, increasing levels of dementia. In her case, it was never really diagnosed as Alzheimer's, but when I wrote this book, I wanted my main character to, to have Alzheimer's dementia uh, because it fit with what, what I was trying to do in the book. Mm -hmm. When Grandma died, she left behind a couple trunks of her memories, including diaries that dated back to 1919. Mm -hmm. But 1919, she was 17 years old. Mm -hmm. And she wrote extensively in her diary for a number of years. But along with that, during her later years, she had written down memories of her childhood. So she's probably in her early 90s, and she's grabbing scraps of paper anywhere from shopping lists to meeting minutes for her homeowners association, whatever she had handy. She's scribbling down the food she ate, her fashion styles, how she wore her hair when she was 17, uh, what her curtains in her kitchen looked like, what she did as a little girl, the games she played, where she went to school. So I took all of this information and it just became really apparent to me as I was reading through it that there's a reason she wrote. She wanted people to know about her. She wanted people to know her story. Mm -hmm. So at the time I was writing children's stories and I looked at all of this and I thought, wow, I want to incorporate this into a novel. Mm -hmm. So throughout my story, even though the present day world is fictionalized, I have taken experiences from her youth and I will read one of them later in the podcast, but her memories when she's recalling her youth through one of her Alzheimer's flashbacks Many of those are based on diary entries that I had read about in oh, her diary. Okay. How absolutely wonderful to have first account experience and um, written work for your particular story. I think first accounts are fantastic journals, um, diaries, things like that. So that that's amazing. So um, why don't we set you up for the reading? Um, you already told me a little bit before we started to record that you were going to read two separate excerpts. So usually what I do is I will go quiet while you introduce your reading and you can build around the reading what you need to share to fill in any pieces so the listeners have a full picture as you do your reading. So I'm going to go quiet and let you go ahead and, and share with us the story. Thank you, Vicki. Okay, I'm going to begin at the beginning, chapter one, and I'm going to read just the first part of chapter one, so all of the listeners can get a feel for the main character. Chapter one. The shrill of the phone jolted Edna awake. Fighting drowsiness, she blinked a few times, fixing her focus on the red-lighted display of the clock. 5.30. Her heartbeat quickened. Early morning calls can only mean bad news. Restrained by the blue nightgown, wrapped around her legs and hips, 
She trembled, groping for the old dial phone on the nightstand. For a brief moment, Edna closed her eyes and breathed deeply before lifting the receiver to her ear. Choked back sobs from across the line made it difficult for Edna to make out Alicia's voice. Grandma, Daddy's dead. Edna paused as she struggled to absorb the news. Without her hearing aids, the words came muffled and faint, barely audible above her pounding heartbeat. Alicia, speak up. You're not making sense. Daddy's dead. This time, Alicia's words stung, clear and sharp. Edna's mind whirled, fighting to comprehend. She must have misunderstood. Her son couldn't be dead. She'd just seen him yesterday, and he was fine. Larry? Larry's dead? I don't understand. Yes, Grandma, he's gone. A sharp pain gripped her chest. Wet with fear and perspiration, she flung back the bed covers that ensnared her. She pulled herself to a seated position. She flipped on the small white reading lamp on the nightstand. What happened? He suffered a stroke last night and never regained consciousness. A dam of emotion released in a torrent of sobs. Edna had worried about his health and nagged him to quit smoking, but he wasn't supposed to die. Not like this, so suddenly or so young. He was only 64. What am I going to do without him? I don't know, Grandma. We don't know how we're going to get by either. Dad took care of everything. Mom will be lost without him. I'll call you later and let you know when we've made the arrangements. Edna straightened on the bed, shivering from the cold. When can I see him? I'll let you know when he's been taken to the funeral home. It may take a while to harvest his organs. What are you talking about? What do you mean, harvest his organs? Resentment rose like the taste of bitter coffee in her throat. Dad was an organ donor. His kidneys, eyes, and tissue are still viable for donation. Edna shook her head. There must be some mistake. He would have told me. Dazed, Edna returned the phone to the cradle. It didn't make any sense for Larry to want to be dissected upon his death. Surely Coralie and her daughters had put him up to it. It's not right. She pounded her fist into the pillow. Too early to call anyone, Edna motioned for her only consolation. Missy, her black terrier, pounced on the bed and nestled into the crook of her arm. Salty droplets fell on the dog's long matted fur. She cried out her frustrations, burying her head into Missy's fur. Why, God? Why didn't you take me instead? It wasn't fair. Parents aren't supposed to outlive their children. For a few moments, 
She let her shock dissipate through her tears. A swell of loneliness gripped her like a rogue wave at the thought of losing her last child. Though it had been 40 years since her daughter Bernice died, a rush of memories raced through her mind like a flash flood. Then she had Jacob and Larry for emotional support. Now, with her husband and son both gone, the hollowness in her heart echoed her grief. Drawing on all her physical and emotional strength, Edna climbed out of bed and plodded downstairs to the living room. Hoping the sunlight would overcome the darkness filling her, she pulled the drapes open. Instead of the hoped-for light, the opened curtains revealed a still darkened gray sky, skirted with low ragged edges, suiting the somber mood of the morning. Edna shuffled to the sofa and gathered her favorite cover around her. She buried her nose in the quilt that had warmed her babies and herself throughout the years. With closed eyes, she inhaled the mix of sweet and bittersweet memories, each memory unique, just like the multicolored tulip shapes she had carefully crafted and sewn into the quilt. Fingering one corner of the worn cotton spread, a smile turned up at the corners of her mouth at the sight of the small rips where Larry had used the quilt for teething. Remembering the past helped keep the early morning chill at bay. Numb, she sobbed in the silent empty house until drained of tears and emotion, she drifted off to sleep. So I'll stop there for chapter one. The next excerpt takes place about halfway through our story. At this point, of course, her son Larry has been buried. She has a very difficult relationship with Larry's second wife and her children. And she has not, had not, prior to the uh, death, seen her grandchildren from her first marriage for about 20 years. So at this point in the story, she's been reacquainted with her grandson, David. She's already starting to show signs of confusion and early dementia. So her mind isn't always working up to par, as we'll see in this next chapter. And this is from chapter 20 in the book. At this point, David, her grandson, has invited her home to his place to attend her great-granddaughter Rachel's high school baccalaureate service. Edna stepped slowly toward the entrance to the church. She couldn't recall if she'd ever been to a baccalaureate service. The soft scent of the purple hyacinth floated on the breeze of the late spring evening. David led his grandmother by the arm down the sidewalk. Neat borders of vibrant yellow and orange zinnias and white and red geraniums lined the walkway. This is a pretty church, isn't it, Grandma? Rachel reached over and took Grandma's hand. 
Edna smiled as she squeezed Rachel's hand back. She strutted like a peacock on show, proud and happy to be included in her great-granddaughter's event. Sunlight glistened off the arched orange and yellow stained glass windows of the old-fashioned brick church, reminding her of a structure from long ago with its pillars and arched columns. Flustered by the growing size of the crowd, Edna appreciated David was there to guide her through the sea of spring-colored pastels and flower prints worn by the large crowd mulling around outside. She studied the smiling faces of the students wearing dress clothes for their special occasion. Escorted through the oversized double doors into the vestibule, Edna glanced down at her clothing and smoothed her soft fabric. She smiled, feeling appropriately dressed for the day in her outfit. Have you ever been to a baccalaureate service, Grandma? Rachel leaned in with a soft voice. Oh, gracious, no. I haven't been to any graduation ceremony in quite some time. With failing eyes, Edna strained to make out the figures outlined in the vibrant colored glass windows. She puzzled over which Christian saints they might be. Rich chords of the music bellowed from the dozens of gray pipes of a majestic organ, which dominated the space behind the altar where the white-robed fire stood. Stepping inside the already packed church, Edna glanced around. She never imagined there would be such a crowd. David helped her into the wooden pew. The high open ceilings filled with the strong voices of the choir singing Amazing Grace. Edna strived to recall the words from her youth and sang in halting words along with the choir. Her voice cracked with the dryness of age. She smiled as memories of her youth flowed through her mind. Edna sat swaying in time to the music until it stopped and the minister instructed the congregation to be seated. He began by congratulating the new graduates, then introduced the first speaker. Can you hear okay, Grandma? David looked over at her. She smiled but sat silent, engrossed in the ceremony. The speaker took the podium. Too many people define themselves by what they do as a profession rather than the type of person they are. Edna sat poised on the edge of the pew, contemplating the inspirational words as if they were directed to her. When you graduate and leave here, what kind of person will you be? When you look back on your life at the end of the road, what will you see? What will you remember? His words echoed in Edna's head. What will you remember? Her mind strained to remember. Edna looked down, beaming with pride at her new long-fitted gray wool skirt, which her mother had worked on so hard for graduation. Mother always loved sewing for her youngest daughter. Daddy was such a dear. He bought her a new black felt hat 
with the wide rim and a silk fuchsia sash to match her mohair sweater. Edna put her hand to her head to feel the new hat atop her long blonde braids wrapped around her head. Feeling so grown up in her new hat, she looked over at her father. It's just the flea's ankles. Smiling smugly, she looked out of the corner of her eye. She saw the half dozen boys in her graduating class turn their heads to look at her. She had finally made it to her high school graduation day. She listened eagerly for the school president to announce her name as she sat on the edge of a long wooden bench. A lone tear trickled down her cheek and her chest swelled over her achievement. The crowd applauded. The thundering applause startled Edna. She gazed toward the front of the large building. Her eyes widened at the size of the crowd. Her voice suddenly shrill and breaking. Where did all these people come from? David looked over at her. Grandma, these are the graduates and their families. But the graduating class is only 12. I don't remember so many people coming to watch me graduate. Edna suddenly flushed. She looked around. The fashion was not the same on these youngsters. She didn't recognize the classmates surrounding her. With short skirts, tight tops, and clunky shoes, she looked down at her mint green flowered double-knit dress with brown slip-on shoes. She touched the top of her head. There were no braids wrapped around her head. No wide-brimmed hat with a fuchsia sash, only fine thinning hair pinned up underneath a fur cap. David, where have all these people come from? What am I doing here? Her voice cracked. David leaned over and put his arm around her. She was comforted by his smile as he hugged her. It's okay, Grandma. It's okay. You've just forgotten where you are. It's a ceremony for Rachel's graduation, her baccalaureate. Edna glanced over at her great-granddaughter and smiled weakly. Rachel smiled back with a broad grin. Edna bent down and fumbled in her purse for a tissue. She dabbed her eyes and wiped away a small tear for all the years that had passed. And that's it for the end of my reading. Hope oh, wow. That, that is a fantastic way of portraying what it must feel like to um, come in and out of memories. Thank you so much. So wonderful. Bravo. So listeners, if you enjoyed that, make sure you find Naomi on my on the um, podcast show notes and get the book. You can get the book before September. September is Alzheimer's Awareness Month. We're recording in the middle of September, but this podcast probably won't be released in <laughs> or it'll be way after. But appreciate you um, sharing this story with us. And we look forward to maybe in the future, you writing more and bringing you on again. Okay. Thank you so much, Vicki. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter 
where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off. Thank you.